This, what I believe will be, I believe it'll be the, the final. In this six week series we've been in called Real Love. Real love, I'm talking about real love. A lot of people have taken a feel of fake love. Not until you start eating cotton candy that you realize it really doesn't do anything for you. It might give you a little sugar rush, but it doesn't fill you up and it certainly, certainly can't sustain you. Yeah, but that real love, I'm talking about that butter bean love. I'm talking about that butter bean and cornbread love that you gotta eat on, you gotta, you gotta cook it for a little while to make the root come out right. And once you get to eating on that butter, bean, and cornbread, love, you won't want no substitute in that because you know that that's what's going to hold you through all the joys and hurts. That's what's going to hold you. And I'm so thankful today that we're, we've been able to talk about this in a very real way. You remember, you remember, we've been talking about all the issues associated with what won't help your marriage to work. We've been trying to make sure we give you scripture references and basis and the scripture basis for everything we're talking about. And I believe this last sermon is going to tie it all together. Really, some would say that maybe this last sermon should have been the first one. Should have been the first one, all right? Uh, and when, you, when I tell you what it's about in a moment, you'll understand why I'm saying that. Um, foundation matters. Foundation matters. A lot of people get together in relationships and the last thing on their mind is the Lord. It's just not where they're coming from. And so today, I want to make sure we understand that when we're talking about real love, it's important how you start. I'm not saying it's important necessarily where you find the person. All right, because you can find a diamond in the rough somewhere. But you need to make sure you start with the right foundation. Remember a few weeks ago, we started out the sermon series, just quickly and recap, we started out talking about crumbs and making sure you don't give just the dredges of your day, the end of your day, the last few pieces of your daily allocation of that cake from the Lord. You don't just leave crumbs for the one you love. And then we started talking about the danger that unrealistic expectations can give you in a relationship. And some people expect um, that people who have never really uh, had an education are suddenly going to have educate jobs that require a lot of education. It doesn't work that way. You have to lay a proper foundation. They want PhD output financially without, with a GED uh, preparation. That doesn't work. Unrealistic expectations. You got to put some work into it. And then you got those three words, and I'm not saying that that can't happen. In some circumstances, you don't need education in order to do well financially. But at least that's not your expectation when you go into it. I mean, come on now, we got some boys that hit the football field and earn millions of dollars. Learn a whole lot of money, but you know and I know that when we put all of them together, that's going to be a minority of relationships where that happens. The majority of us realize that there's going to be some connection to what we put in and what we get out. And so we got to have some realistic expectations. And then we talked about those three words that can either build up or tear down a relationship. We all start with those three words, I love you, but rarely do we sustain the relationship with I am sorry. And I am sorry becomes something that you almost have to say on a regular basis or each day based on how you blend those lives together. 
When we move from the, these three words to a topic that I believe can destroy a marriage and, and keep it on the rocks for a long time, and that's the topic of unforgiveness. Not being able to forgive someone in your past relationships or something done in your present relationship. These three words, unforgiveness, and then last week we talked about secrets and lies. Secrets and lies, bringing into the relationship things that are still undermining the relationship without ever disclosing them. Just never can put your finger on what it is. And so those five, so those five subjects have led us to this place. Perhaps if we had started with this message, we might not have those other five subjects in it. Today, if I had to use a central thought, I want to use uh, for, our, for our theme, what God has joined together. What God has joined together. So let me ask this question. Why did you get married? What was it that motivated you to get married? What was it? Uh, was it because she was singing in the soprano section of the choir and you met her in that place? Or where was she when she met you? Was it just because of the way she looked in those jeans? What was it that made you get married? Maybe it's because you look like an Adonis when you got your t-shirt on. What is it? that moved you to that person? Did y'all even think about the Lord when you got married or was the subject only, oh Lord, when you got married? Sometimes the reason for getting married or into a marital relationship has absolutely nothing to do with the actual purpose for marriage. And so let's look back. Let's peel this back just a little bit and see what marriage is all about. What's the biblical purpose for marriage? I'm not getting into, getting into any political discourse on this. I just want to tell you what the Bible talks about marriage being. And before you can fully understand what marriage is, then maybe you need to understand what it ain't or what it's not. All right? Let me give you this. At the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they no longer are two, but one flesh. Now, now watch this. God had an intention that at a certain point, point in a person's life, they would have to leave their formative home and unite with someone else in a different relationship. That's simply what the scripture says. There's nothing, there's nothing uh, um, unclear about that. That you won't live in the state that you started all your life. At some point, there's another union that comes about. And God intended that for us. We know that because in the beginning, the reason he brought Eve to Adam was because it wasn't good for man to live alone. And so there is an intention on God's part that we find that other person who we're going to spend 
a lifetime with. The scripture I just read states that you leave your mother and father's home. Watch this now. That means physically and emotionally, you leave your parents' home. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying because a lot of people will leave physically and still remain bound emotionally and otherwise to their parents' home. Marriage is defined this way. It's the state of being united to a person as spouse in a legal, consensual, and contractual, watch this now, contractual relationship recognized and sanctioned by and look dissolvable only by law. That is the legal definition of getting married. The legal definition. But anybody who's ever been here and seen me perform a wedding ceremony, anybody I've ever counseled knows that I'm not talking about a legal definition of marriage. In fact, can I tell you something? Watch this now. In this state, you don't even need a minister to get married anymore. You can simply go and get the paperwork and have it notarized, indicating an expressed desire to be united. That's not holy matrimony. That is a legal state of marriage. Now, you can solemnify it with a ceremony from a preacher if you so desire, but I hope you hear what I'm saying. According to the state, a marriage license don't make you legal, holy wedlock. Just getting a marriage license don't make holy wedlock. A holy wedlock is one that is blessed by the Lord, which is why we started out talking about what God has joined together. And so who do you start your foundation with? Are you satisfied simply by meeting the legal requirements? Or do you need to meet the requirements as spelled out by God? God's connection between two people is not a contract. No, 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 no. It's a covenant. It's a covenant. And you should know this, that God keeps covenant to a thousand generations. In other words, when God binds you together and puts his blessings on it, that's a seal that can't be broken, except under some very specific circumstances. Remember, God made us his people. He made us his covenant people. And we are still living in that righteous way of living through his son's blood, Jesus Christ. That's a covenant that he made with us. In other words, as long as we believe and live according to the righteous standards that he's given us, that's a covenant that he won't renege on. We live in that expectation that one day we'll realize the glorious triumph of a life forever with God. Why? Not because we've been so good, not because we're so wonderful, but because of the covenant that he made with his people. And that started all the way back with Abraham. It has flowed all the way through. The origin of the word wedlock, we like that word wedlock, simply literally means a pledge, a pledge, all right, for a time, for a time, a pledge for a time. That's what wedlock means. And so if we're going to, like I said a moment ago, see what marriage is, and we are, let's talk about what it's not. Let's come forward to today, because a lot of people have gotten into this new age belief of what marriage does for you. 
you should know this. Marriage is not a strategy to make you whole. All right? Marriage is not a strategy to make you whole. What, what is this? Many people go into marriage because it's the notion that it's the next thing that's missing in their lives. Watch this. I, I got my degree. I got my good job. And now it's time for me to get married. And so I'm looking for someone to check that box. And after we, have, we get married, we're going to have two children, and we're going to have a house, and we're going to have this kind of car, and, and that's what they think marriage is, and they go about, and when you're not meeting those time frames, then you feel as if you're not whole. Everything around you makes you try to feel like you're not complete unless you check those boxes, and you think that marriage, as important as it is in your life, will complete you and make you feel like a whole person. But, but that's not the best plan, and that's certainly not what God intended. Watch this. Adam and Eve started out okay, all right? But then sin came in. Abraham and Sarah allowed lies to come in and undermine, creep into their marriage, and then she allowed him to have a side chick named Hagar. That created obvious turmoil in the marriage. They weren't the last ones to do that either. Isaac and Rebecca played favoritism with their kids, which helped, undestroy, I mean, which helped to destroy the underpinning of their whole family's relationship. For decades, they had problems because of their parenting style. Jacob had kids by two wives and two handmaidens. He was just all over the place. David and Tamar had so much junk in their lives, least of which was respect. And this is from David, who is referred to in Scripture as a man after God's own heart. He had these kinds of problems with Tamar. I'm not even talking about the issues he had with Bathsheba. His son Solomon clearly watched all the machinations and problems that his daddy had, and instead of picking up the better part of them in terms of relationships, he picked up the worst and exponentially got worse because Solomon has 600 wives and concubines. Clearly, he didn't understand the concept of marriage as God put it out. And then Job had a wife that didn't support him, watch this, in his faith. She may have been a good cook. She may have been a good home provider. She may have done all those other things, but when the going got tough, when life got rough, her faith was not there to support him. Marriage won't solve all your problems. I hope you hear me right now. Marriage won't complete you. In fact, it'll create more problems. Watch this. This is what God gave me. Marriage acts like a highlighter over your personal problems. That's what it does. Whatever you got going on, marriage simply highlights that. And if you're looking for salvation in marriage, then you're starting at the wrong place. Marriage won't save you, Jesus will. Once you get straight with the Lord, then you can go into relationships solidly with other people. Doesn't mean you're gonna have no problems at that point, but at least you have a foundation from which to start. And guess what? You ought to require 
that the person going into that relationship with you at least have that understanding as well because then you have a common foundation to work from. You think you're gonna get into a marriage and save somebody else? No, only Jesus can save folk. You can point them to Jesus, but spending your whole life trying to make them understand how important Jesus is, is a difficult way to live. And so marriage will not complete you, it will not make you whole. Second thing you need to understand about marriage, what it's not, marriage is not a cure for being lonely. It's not a cure for being lonely. Lonely people become lonely married people. Your loneliness has nothing to do with being married. If you're looking for a marriage to meet all of your emotional needs and to fill in every space that seems empty in your life, then you're going to turn, you're going to burn somebody else out real fast. Yeah, that's too much of a strain on any relationship. If you want to get married because you're tired of carrying all of your own emotional baggage alone and you want some help carrying your issues, marriage is not the place to start. No one can carry all your emotional baggage, no matter how much they love you. It's going to wear them out. You need to resolve those issues and be better about yourself. Next thing you need to know is marriage is not an escape from being bored. <laughs> marriage is not the next step on your professional ladder. It's not like I just graduated from college, I've been out for a year, you know, we've been dating for about two, two, three, four, six, eight months. Maybe we ought to get engaged and next year I can start planning for a wedding and then the year after that I can get married. It's not an escape from being bored. It's not designed to keep you from being bored. Boredom does not primarily come out of an external stimulus. Boredom comes from an internal stimulus. Yeah, so, so I'm asking you this question now. Why'd you get married or why do you want to get married? Marriage doesn't mean we're gonna always get along. No, marriage doesn't mean we're gonna be rich. Marriage doesn't mean we're not going to have any problems. In fact, can I tell you this, and I hate to be the bearer of this news, marriage is going to bring its own problems. We found that when we start having trouble, we immediately look at the other person as a reason for the problem. In reality, we're probably having those issues because we didn't understand what marriage was all about. And in order to fully understand it, then we need to go to the source. Walk with me now, because I want to take you through this scripture. We need to go to the source and the creator of the institution of holy marriage. He made it, so let's look at what he said do. Watch this. If you seek God first, then what God has joined together gives my marriage purpose. Watch this now. My marriage has a purpose when I get married. This is important. My marriage will have a purpose. Genesis 2 and 18. And the Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper, suitable for him. Now watch this. God didn't make Adam a wife because Adam wasn't whole. No. 
And, and how could Adam have possibly been lonely if he had God with him every day? God gave Adam a wife because he needed a like-minded companion. Watch this now. Genesis 1 and 28. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. All right. So he brought them together because Adam needed a like-minded compassion. And then in 1 and 28, he says this. He said, then he gave them something that a whole lot of folk overlook when they get into the su subject of marriage. In the B part of verse 28, watch it now. If you're not looking at it, you need to be looking at this. In the B part of verse 28, he gave Adam and Eve a unified purpose, something they were to do together. All right? This is why God has joined them together. He gave them a job that they had to be co-chairman of. Not one over the other, but both of them have to work together. He wanted each of them to work from their individual strengths to accomplish a common goal. People don't look at marriage like that. God put the two of you together because each of you has a puzzle piece that's needed in the other person. And it's when you put those pieces together, that's when your common purpose can be achieved. Many of you are simply working from your own strength only. You're neglecting the person that God has given you who has strength to support you being holy. Watch this, you're not going to like it. But God, is, you're not going to fulfill your purpose in God until you're complete in that person. That's why he brought you together. You're not going to do it externally. It's not going to happen just you alone. Watch this. People don't look at it like this, but raising children is a purpose. Which is why God gave it to a couple to do. Children cannot be raised alone. You got to have help raising a child, which is why God gave them parents. Don't it take two to make them? It takes two to make them. God wouldn't design a system where it takes two to make them and then let one break them. He wouldn't do that. It requires, in fact, that's the fastest way to break them. It's thinking you can do it by yourself. And watch this now. You're not going to be happy when I say this. You might not be raising them with the one you made them with, but somebody else is helping you, whether you know it or not. Either willingly or unwillingly, you're getting help raising that child because you can't raise a child. And certainly in this day and time, yeah. Not only that, creating a home is a purpose. You bring your part to the table, I bring my part to the table, and then we'll end up with a home. Divide the duties like you want. You do the trash taking out, I clean up the bathrooms. That, that, that's working together. 
but you're still working toward the same goal. Watch this. Marriage is not a marriage at all if all you do is work on your own issues and your own needs. That's not, that's, not a, that's not a marriage. That's called cohabitation. And God has given us the desire to do something significant together. Everybody want to do something big in life. They want to be known for something. How about being known as a good couple? How about being known as good parents? That's significant. You have advanced the next generation in a mighty way by working together to raise an individual, individual in a happy and healthy environment. So watch this. Marriage is stronger when the two people work together. And we're weakest in marriage when we just work on our own needs, our own goals, our own plans. When everything is just for you, that weakens a marriage. You were created to be a force together. And so quite naturally, the best way to discover God's mission or plan for your life is if you learn how to pray together. But less than 6% of married couples pray together on a regular basis. Less than 6%. And so this is my challenge for you as I move through this next two points. For the next seven days, you and whoever your spouse is or significant other or intended, for the next seven days, pray together for one another. Pray not over your food, not now I lay me down to sleep, but just get together and pray for one another that God would bless your purpose together. Watch this. It's hard to argue when you're praying. And you can't righteously pray when you're mad at somebody. So it solves a whole lot of issues if you can just pray together for seven days. Now, I know that's going to be real hard, but it's a start. And check this out. Try one day. And if it works, try another day. And bite off a portion of it every day. But start praying with and for one another. So seeking God and making sure he's joining us together gives my marriage purpose. Second thing it does is gives my marriage maturity. Maturity. Watch this. Colossians 3 and 23. Colossians 3 and 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not unto men. Suppose you just could only concentrate on what the Lord thinks of your relationship and not what other folks think. If you could only concentrate on pleasing the Lord, how much pressure would that take off your relationship if you didn't care about the external factors, what your friends think, how we look to the neighbors? Just ask the Lord to bless you. Be honest with yourselves now. Do you really want God to be at the center or do you just want him to kind of be in the mix somewhere? 
Because if he's at the center of your relationship, then he'll be directing your movements and how you prosper. You'll be listening to his guidance if he's at the center of your relationship. Now, if you're single, watch this now. If you're single, this is very important because it changes how you date and who you date. If God is at the center of where you move, then it changes where you meet folks. Changes how you interact with those folks when you meet them. Changes the standards you lay down in terms of your conversation and your activities. If if you're old enough to be dating, trying to get married, then you're old enough to take real good talk. You shouldn't start out out the bat sharing all of the family valuables (laughs) with someone. That, that, That should not be it. You should not open up the jewelry box and show them all the treasures from the beginning that comes much later in life. But if you start out sharing all the family jewels, in fact, that creates a problem that you probably can't ever get past. But if you want God to be at the center of your life, follow his prescription for being united. The Bible makes it clear that he expects in the Bible that men ought to be the spiritual head of their homes. Watch this now, and I want to make this clear. Just because he expects that a man would be the head of his home doesn't mean that the man has to be the best prayer. Doesn't mean that. He doesn't even have to pray all the prayers. He has to believe in the prayers that are prayed, but it may be that he's not the best prayer. He doesn't have to be the best reader or understand scripture the best. He simply has to be willing to take the leading place. That's all it means. Now, I know in 2020, folk want to argue equality. Can I tell you, there's never a relationship where there's not a head. Never. Even in the Godhead, God is still the head. Even though they are a triune being, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, He's still, God is still God. By all the names we call him, he's still God. On earth, Jesus always referenced his father as the leader. Every time, not himself. He said, I come to do the work of my father, not myself. There's always a head. The Holy Spirit came to remind us of the things said by the Son and point us back to the Father, God is still in charge. And so you got to get that straight in your mind that there's got to be somebody who's going to, in the end, make the call. Can I tell you something? It's as simple as this. We can decide we want to go get something to eat today after church. We can call it in on the way, but I guarantee you both of us can't talk and order at the same time. Somebody's going to have to at least place the order on the phone. Don't mean I'm not ordering for you too. So I can pray for you, but somebody's going to have to do it. Don't let the world confuse you that simply because you're not talking, it doesn't mean you're not important. Simply because somebody else is putting the order in doesn't mean you're not the one the order is for. Pray that the Lord will bless you to understand that being together doesn't mean There's going to be absolute equality in everything. 
Because sometimes the person who's on the cross dying is dying for you. And that's a sacrifice that people don't understand. If there was going to be equality, we'd all have been on that cross. Somebody's always going to have to take the lead. And so knowing that the Lord requires of me that I work at my marriage as for him only gives my marriage maturity. And then last but not least, we're out of here. Understanding that seeking God first gives my marriage grace. Anybody that's been in any relationship any length of time knows that you only survive by grace. You certainly don't survive by the goodness of your own heart. It's certainly not because you can plan everything outright. Because I've, I've laid some plans that have been so on point and failed so miserably because there are always external circumstances that can come along and mess it up. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 read thusly, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. Guess what? I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that every morning when I get up, all right, I find out that God has given me new mercies. Why? Because great is his faithfulness. In other words, he doesn't hold yesterday against me. He's going to bless me again today. Thank God how wonderful he is. He loves me today. It's because of his grace that we can continue. You ought to be glad to get another opportunity to show the person you love that you love them. You ought to be glad for another opportunity to show them that you're sorry. You apologize. Thank you, Lord, for blessing me with another day just to spend time with them. Because can I tell you, the day will come when you might not have that opportunity. And you want to make sure you've taken care of all that you can on this side. What God has joined together can stay together in holy matrimony. Can I tell you? You might have problems, but they're problems with God. I'd rather have problems with God than problems without God any day. I'm so glad that you've shared in with us during this time. I'm so glad you've been with us, and I hope you've been here all these six weeks. And if not, you can go back and check out the messages, maybe watching them together. I'll give you a clearer picture of what real love looks like. God bless you today. Look, watch this. I know what real love is. Real love is somebody who didn't have to die for me dying for me. I know what real love is. Real love is for somebody who didn't have to come to earth in the form of a baby coming here just for me. I know what real love is. Real love is that person teaching me how to walk right, how to do right, how to share and witness about him. Real love is a father allowing his only begotten son to come down to earth. That's real love. I know what real love is. I just want to make sure I can share real love with somebody else. I'm struggling most days to get it right, but I'm doing it <clears throat> in my walking and my witness with the Lord. Can you say the same thing? If you haven't started with the right, right foundation, maybe this is where you need to start today. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your standard bearer, as your template, then you need today to say, Lord, I realize I've been trying to do this by myself. I realize I'm struggling and I can't accomplish it by myself. Education hasn't helped me to this place. A good job hasn't helped me get to this place. All of these things that I got around me hasn't helped me get to this place. I want to go back and start with you, Lord. And right now, I admit that I failed. I'm a sinner 
and I'm in need of someone to manage my life. And from this point forward, Lord, I want you to be my life guide. Help me, Father. Bless me right now. Come into my life. Strengthen me and keep me. In the name of Jesus, I'm submitting this. Amen.